Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman, live from Chicago. And Bruce, we have another colleague on the line. Is it Fortuna? Who have you got for me, Stu? Fortuna has become the most elusive possible guest in the history of this podcast. But no, our new colleague as of Monday, my former colleague, now current colleague once again, live from SEC Media Days, ladies and gentlemen, Andy Staples. I am just blown away by the reception here. There's literally tens of people here, all very poorly dressed, waiting to ask questions about Vanderbilt tomorrow. Well, first of all, you you bring up an interesting thing about Media Days. I've seen so many pictures in the last three days of players or coaches sitting there in their nicest possible suits. Oh, they look amazing. Yeah, they, 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 the players in particular oh, go out of their way to wear like the best suit they've ever worn Jake in their Fromm life. Jake Fromm looked like he stepped right out of the pages of the Bass Pro Shops catalog. And then they're surrounded by sports writers in the you know rattiest summer, summer wear that they could find in their closet. I can't really say much as a man standing here in a pink shirt and Sperry's. <laughs> anyway, congratulations and welcome for anybody listening who missed the news. Andy, who I worked with at Sports Illustrated from 2008 to 2014, and who Bruce would have overlapped with for like what, seven months, nine months, something like four that. days, four days. Yeah, it was, it was closer to like 11 months. We're all finally back in the same place. We're so. We've, we've actually never been in the same. We've never been, all been in the same place. So this is a big, this is a big moment. We also announced 10 new team writers at the Athletic. If you are a fan of. Arkansas, LSU, South Carolina, Missouri, Boise State, Utah, West Virginia, Texas. I may, I'm probably forgetting somebody. This is your chance. Go to the Athletic, theathletic.com slash CFB expansion, $2.99 a month, and now you get Andy. What's your first uh, project you're working on for us? We probably should have gone on. I know podcasts are supposed to be unstuck in time, so I don't know your publishing schedule on this, Stuart, but uh, I will have a story probably that you can click on now as you listen to this podcast about what will happen next for the most undervalued property in American sports television, also known as the SEC on CBS package. It is pennies on the dollar that CBS pays for the best SEC game every week and trying to figure out, will they get five times as much money next time, six times as much money? It's going to be the most fun bidding war we've ever seen. We're still a ways away, but the SEC folks talk about it a lot amongst themselves because they don't like losing at anything. And right now, the Big Ten is making more money than them. That's fascinating because that deal, I think, was made probably separate from obviously from their deal with ESPN. It was probably made like a year or two too soon, right before every the well, bubble. Well, it was just made in 2008 off. when the economy had just crashed. Yeah, and so. Now, they made a deal with ESPN that same year. The thinking was, and, and I get into this in the story, I spoke to, to Bernie Matson, who was the president of Florida at the time and uh, was one of the more influential presidents in the SEC, had Mike Slive's year. And obviously, Mike Slive has passed away and couldn't ask him about it. And, and Chuck Gerber, the, the TV consultant who made the deal, has also passed away. So Bernie helped kind of fill in some of the gaps on, on what was going on back then. But the thought was, OK, they're going to do a cable network anyway, so going to be able to reopen all this stuff and and get it changed if we don't like a deal because they had to make the deal then because it was expiring but they knew it was a terrible time in the economy to make you any deal so they thought let's get some security and then once once we get this network launched we'll get it figured out well once they got the sec network launched it went it went like gangbusters but cbs wasn't really willing to do much other than just say well, you know, we don't have to have an exclusive window from 3.30 to 7 p.m. Eastern. That's the only concession they made. And so they've been paying, like, for example, 
the SEC championship game last year got 17.5 million viewers. That's more than the Cotton Bowl semifinal between Notre Dame and Clemson. ESPN probably paid, if you break it out, if you say that the national championship game is worth twice as much as a semi, then ESPN probably paid 132.5 for the Cotton Bowl. And CBS paid like $6 million for the for the SEC championship game, even though the SEC championship game got more viewers. It, it's it's stunning how much of a bargain it is for CBS. And But, but Fox is going to want it. They're going to want to put Bruce Feldman on SEC games. ESPN's going to want it. They want to complete the set. CBS wants to keep it. It is going to be a great bidding war. I can't. I got my popcorn ready. Bruce, what so do you think? Andy, Are you ready to do some halftime interviews with Nick Saban? Absolutely. So look, Andy. Andy mentioned what it was like, the timing of that all, with the economy tanking or you know going into 2008. One other interesting factor really happened when this deal kind of exploded. And that was the arrival and, and Nick Saban getting settled in at Alabama. Remember, mm-hmm. his yep. first year was 2007. Seven. Yep. It was kind of a clunker. And then 2008, they win 12 games. They go to the Sugar Bowl. And then the next year, 2009, they won on a run. They won three of the next four national titles. And I feel like, and it wasn't to say, obviously, Urban Meyer had, had, had won. Les Miles had won before that. But Nick Saban took Alabama to next level, and I think that juggernaut really expanded the gap between the SEC and everybody else. Andy, were there other factors you looked at and and you came across in the timing that you think really spurred this beyond that? A lot of it was the way that CBS handled it. They put a a crew on that game. They had more cameras. It looked like a bigger game than everything else. They, and they did that really from 2001 on. And I think that's part of the reason why the SEC was willing to give them a little bit of a discount in 2008 because they loved the reach that it gave them and they loved the kind of branding it gave them. And I, I still to this day, and uh, you know, Bruce, your, your guys at Fox do a great job, but Craig Silver and his crew at CBS, they make that game, whether it's the Iron Bowl or... Uh, Florida LSU or you know Auburn Georgia, they make it look like the Super Bowl, and it's it it's just they somehow made it more special well, even than it was. Let me address some of that because I, I don't disagree with you, but like you know Sunday Night Football for NBC is a huge item for them, and yes. the number of cameras and I didn't really get this until I started doing right sideline. it's a bigger investment for them yeah i mean some some games would have six or eight cameras some games on at, at the magnitude we're talking about whether it's sunday night football would have five times as many and so i think you know the fcc on cbs occasionally they would get another game but whereas fox we usually have four or five games a week espn has 10 or 15 CBS primarily has that one game and they blow it out and they've done a really good job. And look, I think, you know, some of the nostalgia aspect of it, I mean, Vern Lundquist was just a treasure on it. And so yep. I think there was a lot of things that came, that came together, you know, maybe not to spoil where you're going with the story, Andy. Do you think if it goes someplace else, it will change how people look at it right now? I, I think the SEC will – I think it's going to matter, and I talked to a lot of people on all sides of it. I think the it's going to be important to the SEC, one, that it's a, a fixed time slot, probably mid-afternoon, and two, I think they're going to want it to be over the air. And you know, if you say, oh, well, ESPN can't get it, yes, ESPN can because Disney also owns ABC. So they can, they can promise them over the air as well. I think they like the reach of over the air. You know, it's funny because we, we all laughed when the, the stories came out about the millennials discovering ABC, CBS, NBC and Fox and and not realizing that you got that for free if you had an antenna. But I, I do think as people cut the cord, there will be more of a, a premium to, to being over the air because you will have a bigger reach. So I, I think that's going to be part of it. And I also think the SEC is going to want sort of an assurance that that game is made to look as special as it looked on CBS, if it's not going to be CBS. And you can do that by saying, you know, we'll knock a little off the price tag if you assure us you're going to to cover it this way. Because it is, it's very expensive 
to do a game like that. I mean, you're talking, you know, half a million dollars, three quarters of a million dollars to, to put on a game like that. It's got to be the premier package in, in college sports. I know that, you know, it Big is. Ten, it, Big it, Big it Ten is absolutely. games do very well, you know, and certainly you know, the Oklahoma-Texas game does really well. But this is a package that assures you that it that every week or almost every week you're going to have two highly ranked teams big brand name teams and national championship contention and most of all what you said at the beginning it includes the SEC championship game that alone i would think is worth you know yeah, what the what the rose bowl is worth you know yeah yeah anyway we don't we don't want to get too far down that road please read andy's story it will be up by the time you listen to this you got so andy's at SEC now bruce you you were at big 12 media days by the way, I was supposed to be at SEC Media Days and unfortunately came down with something that I wouldn't wish on anybody that comes hey, can, with having a kid a in daycare. Yeah. Stu, let me ask you a question yeah. of this. So maybe <laughs> this we can open up to our listeners to give feedback. So We're not asking our listeners to give medical advice, are we? No, we are, actually. Oh, so boy. Stu found out that he had something that was contagious on the third day oh, of geez. our offense, the final day. And so... And as far as I know, I have not heard from anybody on at the athletic that came down with it. I'm feeling let's just, just fine. Let me finish. So, Andy and I were at 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 breakfast with we're with our intrepid editor Dan Uman as well, and Stu was supposed to be there, but he was not because he was at urgent care, and this was being kept hush hush. Now there's like 40 other uh, athletic employees who are at this hotel in Chicago. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, we should tell some of these people that Stu may be <laughs> contagious because when Stu... And I'm like, we should not. That is exactly the reason when, I said do not tell anybody. Here's why. Because when Stu's, Stu's smiling face shows up to say goodbye, I think it would be a bad thing if one of our employees, especially one of our younger employees who's trying to cozy up to the big boss... Gives them a handshake or a hug, and all of a sudden now is 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 bringing back on the plane whatever godforsaken thing Stu has contracted. Me, I spot Stu across the lobby, and I am keeping equal distance from him. He's circling. I'm going around. I, don't <laughs> I think I went fist. Stu. I think I went fist bump at the end, like Howie Mandel style. I mean, I it was you. Def- there Why was like this tell people? long table in the hallway. With a bunch of people were sitting around it, and I started to turn toward. I started to walk toward Bruce, and he immediately started walking in the other direction. I was keeping in people in front of me every st- every step, and I was just like, I don't want any part of Stu right okay, now. Okay, first of all, once I got back, I intentionally kept a distance. In fact, some of the last few people might have thought I was being antisocial. And second of all, I don't have the plague, or I didn't have the plague. I didn't have like something that is gonna, you know. If you have it, then everybody else is going to get it. It's called... I told you not to go to those clubs, too. I it's told called, you don't go there. <laughs> I, I will, I will in, in the interest of full disclosure... I was going to say, you have no choice. Anybody who has had a point. kid in daycare or preschool knows what this is. Hand, foot, and mouth. It is disgusting. You, <laughs> you feel like you can't eat or talk or do any... Your mouth just... Eh, I don't want to get into it. But anyway, I was assured it would be very, very hard... It's, and frankly, it's ridiculous that I got it. It's supposed to be, it's a kid's thing. It's supposed to be very, very hard for adults to get it. So people should be okay. But believe me, don't think I didn't feel guilty about it. I definitely shook a lot of hands and kissed a lot of babies there. So I did not <laughs> kiss any babies. Stuart shaking hands and kissing babies is, this is, this is interesting for me because this, it was my first time being around Stuart as an athletic employee. And, you know, I, I'm used to Stuart, you know, Stuart and I were, we're, we kind of had the same job at SI and, and so, you know, we, we would talk to our editors and we'd talk about our editors and Stuart's a little bit supervisory here, sort of like the man. So I'm not sure how I, you know, how I got to, how I handle that. I gotta be careful what I say. Well, well the I first thing we noticed. did that day, or one of the first things we did was have a panel where I was much like this podcast where I was the moderator and teed up you two. So I wanted people to hear from the wisdom straight from you guys. I just asked the questions. I have very little wisdom to offer, as people will learn, uh, unless it's about barbecue. People were taking okay. notes. I noticed and, Grace Rayner, our Clemson writer. I noticed uh, I think Kaylin they were Jones, just our Texas writer. Like they were they vigorously were taking notes. 
Andy, um, let me ask you this, since you are joining our podcast, and this is the first, I'm sure you've done uh, your show of radio down at Hoover for the FCC, but since this is our audience, making this decision, you never, you've never, you never worked behind a paywall. I mean, for me, I had done that at ESPN before, but was that something, I mean, you had some time to think about it before you actually published your first story, and now it's happened. Anything well, been eye-opening for you? I've never written behind a paywall, but I have talked behind a paywall for the last four years. So my other employer is SiriusXM. And so I do, from that end, understand the idea of a community of people who are willing to pay for good content. And so that was one of the, one of the deciding factors for me. It helped, helped me figure out, okay, this is, this is the right place for me to be. But I have been very pleasantly surprised because, you know, a few years ago when, when The Athletic launched, I remember there were a lot of people who said, oh, well, I'm never going to pay for, for stuff I can get for free. Well, there was an overwhelmingly enthusiastic response when, when I announced that I was writing for The Athletic. And I've, I've had people text me and, and say, you know, here, I just subscribed. You better be good. I've had you know, people tweet at me saying, oh, I'm, I'm re-upping my subscription right now. And it's great I, it, it, because – it does your heart good to know that people want quality stuff because I, I was a customer of the athletic a long time before I worked there and I get jealous reading those stories and just seeing the depth and the breadth of what, what the athletic covered. And then you open that app and you're just scrolling cleanly through a story and there's no ads and there's no autoplay video. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. And the reality is, I mean, and look, this is self-serving as it is, but you're not getting that content for free anyplace else. You no, you're not. Five, ten years ago, getting some some version of it, but just no one else is committed. No other company is committed to it right now the way the athletic is. Dan Newsman yeah, and I were just marveling today. Each of the last three days, we've published more than twenty college football stories, and it is right. July. I mean, it's yes, right. it's media there, days. There but... are places that do good work, but the people can only do so much, and they have few. You know, they're lower in numbers, and so they might put out a good story every couple days. The Athletic's going to put out double-digit good stories every day. You're not getting that anywhere else. Well, your arrival and the arrival of our other new team writers just ups that number of quality stories we'll be putting out every day. So, again, one last plug, theathletic.com slash CFB expansion. All right, let's talk media days. Bruce, you came from Big 12 where... You know, it gets overshadowed because SEC is such a giant event and Feinbaum's broadcasting from there and all that. But it's probably a better place to actually get some some uh, exclusive access. It is. I mean, having covered both quite quite often. Uh, this year it was at, at AT&T Stadium, which is where the Cowboys play. It is a cavernous place and it's an awesome venue. But, you know, even if you put all the people from SEC Media Days in there, it would still feel somewhat empty just because it's so big. But you're right. I mean, instead of, you know, the SEC brings three players, which is better than, some, you know, the Pac-12 does. But at, at Big 12, you get five and six players access. And I think there's more opportunities to talk to people. There's a fraction of the media members. So I think that the opportunities are there to find and connect with more people. Having said that, I, I think a, a big storyline there, the biggest storyline, was around Sam Ellinger. I would say he probably had waiting for him at the end of his media session probably about five to ten times more than any other player there at the Big 12. And you know his proclamation of, of we're back after they handled Georgia in the bowl game, got a lot of play, as did him being ripped by both Terry Bradshaw and Baker Mayfield. And I thought, I thought uh, Ellinger handled it really well, but Texas is the one has the buzz. Obviously, OU has some of it, but Jalen Hurts, whether he can be the third Heisman Trophy quarterback in a row for Lincoln Riley. But after that, it seems like there was, there was a pretty significant gap. And one other thing, which is kind of a, I don't want to say it was a footnote, but I think it's a story I'd like three of us to kind of wade into is Les Miles speaking the same day that his old school LSU was going at SEC Media Days, took to the podium and really struggled. I mean, he just seemed, you know, Les is always a little different when he spoke. In this case, 
you know, he, he immediately waded into and brought up the Puka Williams case, which was really messy, and it, I don't think it shows Kansas in the best of light. But his he just kind of lost his train of thought, and it was meandering, and it just left a lot of people in the media there who watched it going, you know, Les doesn't seem like he's he has it all there right now. He just seemed really distracted and kind of distant, and... I think it left even more doubt about how his tenure is going to go there. Did you guys see any of it or follow it all? I did, and, and if you juxtapose less at Big 12 and at Orgeron here at SEC, I think if you're an LSU fan, you kind of understand why what happened happened. Because Orgeron is very together with it, and everybody makes fun of him. I, I, I get that. He, you know, He's got a funny accent and all that, but he's done a good job there and you can tell he knows he's got a pretty good team coming back and they just seem like they're, they're in, in very different places. And you know, my, my thing with the, the last miles, Kansas thing all along, Stuart and I have both said this and I ne- I didn't understand the hire because he couldn't win with LSU talent to the satisfaction of LSU people. You're going to give him Kansas talent and expect him to do more or expect him to do anything. I, I don't get that. And the other thing is, you know, it seemed like he really wanted to be a head coach. And so he took the job where they were going to let him be a head coach. I don't know that that's necessarily a good reason. How much of the, and I did watch after you kind of told me about it, I watched the the, um, the, the, the entirety of his press conference on YouTube and definitely see what you're saying. And we actually saw a little bit of that also in his introductory press conference where he just kind of loses his train of thought completely uh, on a couple of uh, moments which is you know unusual when you see a head coach and they're usually pretty in control of the message but how much of the time would you say that you were around him were people asking about football and how much were they asking about his other stuff or movie roles rick ross kind of the the things that come with being left i think there was some of that but just from from Everything I had gathered there, like started off on a weird, weird note. Just a bet. Uh, we're at the at the hotel waiting to, to go to to uh, AT&T Stadium, and so a couple of our colleagues and myself were talking to Matt Wells and the Texas Tech contingent. We get on what we think is the media shuttle, us and the Texas Tech guys. And once we get there, we realize that you know I'm talking to the Texas Tech staff. I think we just took Kansas's shuttle that they were supposed to take over there. So it was just like, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a weird note that it was like, wait, this is the juxtaposition of where you know Les Miles isn't just at uh, SEC media days. He just like basically though his ride to get there was taken by Texas Tech, you know, kind of thing. accidentally, of course. But I, I think a lot of starting folks, a new rivalry. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Whatever it takes, there, right? So <laughs> sorry. I think, I think it. it oh, what everyone's kind of in the conference, and you saw this from talking to some of the people on Radio Row, I think initially they were very intrigued by Les. As the day wore on, I think they were very kind of like underwhelmed by him. Because remember, you know, and I, Andy and I had been to a lot of SEC media days, Les was, was kind of the most charming guy in the podium because he was unique and his verbiage was different, but he seemed to be very comfortable and in command. He didn't really seem that way this time. And I think that, I don't want to say it unsettled anybody, but it was like I said, I think it was just very underwhelming. And some of those other things that people find, you know, charming and curious, whether it's the movie stuff or eating grass and and some of those other things, they didn't really, again, from what I gathered and from from talking to other people, they didn't seem to be on board with that. It just seemed like it kind of didn't, didn't connect. And I think... Also, some of that, again, the Puka Williams stuff, because it was his best player, because it was brought up to Bob Bowlesby, the, the commissioner of the Big 12, even be- right before Les went went on stage, I think it just kind of got muted a lot. Well, and, and the other thing about it is Les had an instant out because the administration at Kansas made the decision. He didn't set the suspension. It was set from above him. So he could have just passed the buck. And you guys, and, every, and, and and nobody would have called Jeff Long to ask him about it because people are lazy. But he could have passed the buck, but then chose to give this like word salad of an answer, and that didn't that didn't really 
inspire a lot of confidence either. I mean, any coach that took this job, this particular job, Nick Saban took this job, he would have trouble the first couple of years. It's going to be a, a colossal rebuild for whoever would have taken that job. Unfortunately, Kansas chose to pick somebody who I think isn't necessarily um, going to be... I'm worried they're going to get worse. I am too. I think they will get worse because, you know, he had an interesting comment in there. Somebody asked, someone of the, somebody from Oklahoma asked him to compare getting there now versus when he got to Oklahoma State. And he actually said he thinks he has more talent here than when he first got to Oklahoma State way back in, in 2001. So, you know, I don't think David Beatty gets enough credit. His overall record was obviously abysmal, but they were getting better with each year. Also, yeah. uh, just just on that Oklahoma State point. So Dusty Dvorak, who's you know former OU player, who's who works for ESPN, but also has a radio station in Oklahoma. You know that comment went over with a thud with a lot of people. And Dusty and his co-host, when I was on their show, pointed out, you know, there was Kevin Williams, who was a first-round pick, Rashawn Woods, who was a great player. There actually was a bunch of really good players at Oklahoma State back then. I mean, it's been 20 years or so since Les was in that situation, and I don't know if a little bit of revisionist history has set in, or really he hasn't played. In or maybe you just want to make your players. current players, you know, you want to feel make your good. current players feel good, exactly, and not say like, oh, guess, these guys stink compared to what I had 20 years ago. I guess that's better than Charlie Weiss calling them a pile of crap. Exactly. <laughs> I I think they got a little bit better with each year under David Beatty, and I think you know I think they're going to take a big step back. But uh, we should probably move on to other programs. I noticed, following this from afar, that it's the annual Nick Saban is asked to explain why they lost the football game mm-hmm. segment of Media Days because he doesn't yep. lose many of them, and he certainly doesn't lose many of them, 44 to 16. And uh, he kind of threw some of his assistant coaches from last year under the bus. Said guys were. Maybe not as focused on that game as they should be. They were already angling for other jobs, and obviously Bruce got a little taste of that in the reporting that led up to the famous Where's Dan story. Uh, do we buy it? Uh, no. No. No, no. Because some of the players were saying, oh, their preparation wasn't as good. You can say whatever you want. They, they got, like, when Justin Ross got matched up against a certain player, they threw to him every time. That's You can practice all you want. You can be coached perfectly in that situation you just don't have the right matchup you, you you don't have the talent to beat them clemson was the better team and that's all it was to it now the score there's an explanation for that too you know we always make fun of teams that get down and they just punt and they don't really try to get back in the game alabama kept trying to get back back into the game they just kept failing at it and it kind of rolled downhill on them so they really weren't. They're not four touchdowns worse than Clemson, but Clemson was better. Well, a couple of years ago, I remember when Saban was at SEC Media Days. One of the things he brought up was just, you know, again, he he, he uses that opportunity in, in Hoover as a soapbox moment, and some also. And he brought up about maybe the players, you know, were distracted by the timeline of the NFL draft process and and when they have to declare. And so, you know, I get it. He's sending messages, I think, more to his team and whether that's his staff also or not just his players. I think that's what he's really, you know, it's not the first time he's tried to use the media that way. And oh, I yeah. Think everything he says gets magnified times a thousand. Also, can I, can I offer a very simple, like, Occam's Razor type explanation? He got asked 50 million times why they lost 44 to 16. He has to answer somehow. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to the year they lost to, they got crushed by Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl. And that next year, the media circuit, that became, well, it was a consolation game for our players. There's always something. But Alabama, going into last season, what was their biggest question mark? Secondary. Lost their top six defensive backs. You look back at last season... And, you know, Alabama was just, just destroying people the first two-thirds of the season. And when you're when that's happening in real time, it's hard to necessarily fully realize this. But after the season, you can look back and go, oh, who did they play during that period? Team right. well, and didn't it, have quarterbacks is, like Trevor Lawrence. Well, and they lose people. Like, you lose Trayvon Diggs. If Trayvon Diggs is healthy, that maybe is a different game. That sort of thing matters. 
and they had some deficiencies that got exploited at the end of last season. And Tua was not completely healthy. That got exploited. So, yeah, I mean, it, look, it, it happened, and you got to explain away the loss. I, I don't think, you know, saying that, that people had one foot out the door is the right way to say it. You know, you can say we didn't prepare, which is what some of the players said. That they, they said they didn't prepare well enough. I don't mind that. That's not really making an excuse. That's saying because if you say we didn't prepare, you're you're turning that on yourself. You're you're looking in the mirror and saying could have done better. And I'm perfectly fine with that explanation. You know, you got to have an explanation. And if somebody's going to ask you about it a million times, and that's you know mostly what they came up with. I I, I just I don't buy the a bunch of guys had one foot out the door thing. Yeah. There's been turnover at Alabama before and, and they've won, you know, coming off of a season where they won the national title. So it's not, there's no one convenient excuse. They happen to get beat by a team that was better than them that day. They've been the better team almost every time. And sometimes you run into a team that's better than you. And that was Clemson last year. Okay, real quick, uh, Bruce and I have some emails to answer, but first, uh, before we let you go, why don't each of you give us one amusing anecdote or nugget that you stands out to you from your, your two or three days, in this case, immediate days. I just got bumped by Greg Sankey on, on a radio show in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. I was down on Radio Road doing a show, I get a tap on the shoulder, oh, you gotta go, and there's Greg Sankey. So That happens. It was almost as good as the time I got bumped by Dr. Phil on CNN. If it was Saban, they would have literally like thrown you out of the chair. I don't think Josh Maxson could actually get me lifted up. Yeah, that's true. Josh um, Maxson, for those who don't the know, fact the that, sports information The fact that this man. question is stumping you guys just goes to show you how little actually oh, happens no, at these I, media look, days. I'm, I've been over media days for a long time. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's a lot of value in them. For our purposes at The Athletic, the value for us was getting the word out. Right. And there's, you know dozens of radio stations set up where we can where we can do that but in terms of getting a lot of information i'm i'm more interested in talking to the people who don't have press conferences you know there's some people behind the scenes that that, that are good to talk to and you you learn some stuff and and more than anything just get to kind of network a little bit but in terms of actual usable content i did think it was interesting so at sec media days there's there's the, the press conference in the big room, and then they move around to like the TV rooms, and, and they go to CBS. There's also, usually for most teams, they have something on, on one of the upper floors, and they'll bring in either their local beat writers or the national, beat, you know, national media beat writers to come in and talk to the coach or talk to the players. And they double-booked Florida and LSU in that room. And there probably aren't two worse teams that you could do that to because those – Programs hate each other right now. I know they've which head coach I would bet on in a fight between if those two guys got into it, though. Well, that one's easy with the head coach, but uh, the quarterback would be an interesting one. But then you'd have, but what about the Steve McLean, Michael Bonnet? Uh, I know which SID I would bet on. <laughs> taking Michael Bonnet. Uh, LSU's doing it. LSU's doing all right in that, on that front. Pardon my ignorance on this. They hate each other because of the hurricane rescheduling or something more? Well, they play each other every year, so they already weren't fond of each other. And, yes, the hurricane rescheduling thing, there's still a lot of lingering bitterness over, over all of that stuff. Right. And both ADs are gone, by the way, since that, Andy, Correct. Right? Correct. But, it, you know, the, it's the SEC. People hold grudges. I mean, think it, remember, Georgia played that Soldier Boy song. In 2007, at Sanford Stadium, when they beat Auburn and like Vern Lindquist was dancing along, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, they're blowing out Auburn, and the players are all dancing to Soldier Boy. Ten years later, Auburn is kicking the crap out of Georgia in 2017 at Jordan Hare, and they played that song, and the players dance on the field because they didn't forget. The players, That's how did the they SEC. not for? They were 10 years old the first time. That's impressive. The, <laughs> it's because someone told them. Yeah, it sticks like, with hey, you. remember this? All right, Bruce from Big 12. You know, this isn't an amusing anecdote, but I will say that one thing that really kind of resonated with me, and again, for people who maybe aren't yet subscribers of The Athletic, I'll roll their eyes at this, but people talking about the, the what we do in the company, and I'm talking about football coaches, was kind of a very... Um, 
I, I, overwhelming. Matt Campbell from Iowa State that must have asked me about four different stories I did. Uh, at one point, and this is probably one of the more unusual moments, was and one of Andy's former colleagues, Lakin Littman, has her iPhone set on an app that we all use now called Otter. It's a transcription app. It's Not a godsend. Well, I have never used it live. And this is what she was using. So she put her phone on the table in front of uh, in front of Colin Johnson. I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, wow, this is accurately transcribing every word that's coming out of his mouth in real time. Well, about five minutes later, she went over to Tom Herman. And Tom Herman, fairly media savvy as he is, former Fox Sports part-timer as he was, whatever, 20 years ago, spots this and sees it. He goes, that's it. wait a minute. That thing really transcribing right now in real time, and everybody you know who's familiar with Otter nods, and then he looks, I think, at Max Olson, and he said, uh, "Is that something from the Athletics? You guys are just rolling in dough right now." And <laughs> now we can't take credit for that one. No. Although Nicole Auerbach, to her credit, was the one who told all the rest of us about it, and now the whole staff's using it. So the company's going to acquire it, is what you're saying? <laughs> maybe, maybe at some point. I mean. We all, I also had the experience this week of a SID of a school with a very prominent coach texted me to say the coach was curious to, the coach himself, unsolicited, was curious to know who was going to be covering their team for the Athletic this season. So people, nice. people are paying attention. And with that last gratuitous plug, Andy, we will um, let you get back to day what, 37 or whatever this is for you at Hoover at this point. <laughs> Athletic.com slash CFB expansion. Tell them Andy sent you. There you go. And with that, we will turn to the mailbag. As always, you can send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. First up from Mark Weaver. Hi, Stu and Bruce. Which of last season's major conference champions do you think is most likely to repeat and which is least likely to repeat? I included UCF since they've been the group of five representative for the last two years. I I thought maybe he included them because he was an AAC Power 6 proponent. But anyway... All right, here's the list. He wants us to do most likely to repeat and least likely I think we to should, repeat. I think we should rank all six in the most likely to least likely, not just the top and bottom. <laughs> I love how just before we started recording, I said we're running a little low on time, and you're going to turn this into a, a major exercise. Okay, but here's the list real quick. Oklahoma, four in a row. Clemson, four in a row. Alabama, four out of... He says four out of the last five, I guess, because you can't actually say Alabama. They'd only won one in a row, but four of the last five. Ohio State, two in a row. Washington, two out of the last three. UCF, two in a row. Okay, so you're saying which one should we first of all say is most likely? I think that's going to be easy. Yeah, Clemson. Clemson. Second most likely. I'm going to say... I would say Alabama. Well, that was my first instinct, but Georgia, I think they have a worthy adversary in Georgia. Whereas I think, you know, and I think Oklahoma may have a worthy adversary in Texas. But I think if Washington has their stuff together, if Jacob Eason's playing well, playing the way we think he might, like they kind of have the easiest path. I so, have Washington third on my list. All right, so some order second or third. All right, so now we're down to Oklahoma, Ohio State, and UCF. Let me just say UCF's my answer for least likely. Mine they, too. They, and, and that's because, for one reason, they just... Uh, I mean, they had already they're obviously, the yeah, quarter. they were obviously not going to be with Mackenzie Milton. Daryl Mack played well in the conference championship game, not so well in the bowl game. Now he's hurt. So it's Brandon Wimbush time. And, uh, you know, I think it would not have been entirely surprising if he was the starter anyway. Obviously, he started a lot of games at Notre Dame. But you look at what he did at Notre Dame, the inconsistency. I mean, it's going to be hard for UCF to win the conference championship, I think, with him at quarterback. Okay, yeah, so now, I would definitely agree with you. Um, I had the next in this order. I had after Washington as my number three. I had Oklahoma number four and Ohio State number five. And I would agree with that. So we're, we're mostly in agreement. We just flipped. Uh, you had Alabama two. I had Washington two and vice versa. All right. <laughs> For some reason, home field advantage is a big, big topic this week. Uh, we have two questions in a row about it. First, Eric... Vajda. Hi, Stuart and Bruce. With the narrative around the Pac-12, you're probably not surprised to hear that since 2010, 
the Pac-12 has the worst away record versus other Power 5 conferences, 15 and 28. But which Power 5 conference has the best home record? Surprisingly, also the Pac-12 at 32 and 7. That stat really surprised me. 32 and 7 Power 5 home games. That doesn't fit the narrative. This suggests to me that traveling, and in particular traveling long distances, plays a big role in college football win-loss records. The geography of Pac-12 puts them at a distinct disadvantage even with conference games. When Larry Scott eventually gets canned and Bruce and Stu are named Pac-12 co-commissioners, what will you do to help the Pac-12 overcome this natural disadvantage? Eric, I have bad news for you. There's literally nothing we can do. If the Pac-12 wants to play home and homes against other Power 5 schools, the other Power 5 schools are located, with the exception of maybe a couple of the Big 12 schools, are located pretty far away from the West Coast. So, but he's right. You know, I think you often see a school go three time zones away and come out flat and get crushed. And that's not necessarily something that the other leagues deal with as much. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question. I appreciate Eric uh, pointing this out because, like you said, it is it is surprising to see it. And he, he makes a good case for why it is. You know, I think a lot of folks, you know, like, both of us, well, I grew up on the Northeast. I don't think people realize just how spread out it is. You know, it's not like you're driving from from Seattle to Stanford. You know? Well, and I mean, he's not even the, talking about the conference games. Like, you know, when North, when Stanford went and played at Northwestern, when Arizona State hosted Michigan State last year. And Michigan State lost. Um, right. Time zones are get really funky for you then, too, also. Yeah, and I think that that's, you're going to see this next question plays into this a little bit as well. But, well, here, let me go ahead and read the next question because it's very, very much of the same, same category. They're not specific to the Pac-12. From Greg J. Hello, Stu and Bruce. Greetings from College Football No Man's Land, Vermont. I have a question. In your opinion, how much is the 2.5 to 3.5 point home field advantage in spreads due to opposing crowds? And how much is it just that the visiting team is away from home, hotels, travel, etc.? I ask because I played low-level college football where I experienced the away game feel and how much harder it was to get up for a game having spent the previous day traveling and having to deal with a crappy night's sleep in a hotel. But when I hear people in the media talk about home field advantage, it always seems to center around the whole hostile environment thing, which I can't say D3 football really provided. I think there is a lot more to be said for just out of your surroundings and out of your comfort zone and just the normalcy factor. I think that's different. I think once the game's going on, for the most part, the players get settled in, whether the crowd is, you know, what it is. One of the loudest stadiums, I feel like, you know, a couple of the loudest stadiums I think I've been in in the last, whatever, 10 years. One would be where LSU plays. Troy, an FCS team, went in there and handled it just fine. I'm not, not an FCS, a group of five team went in there and handled it fine. Virginia Tech, I think Lane Stadium can get really, really loud. But teams have gone in there and handled it. So I, I just think it's it's who's playing in there. But really, the ultimate thing is how you know how do you, how do your staff and how does the players just really handle kind of being away from home and and the stuff that comes with it. Yeah, I think that I think you know if I had to say what's the I'd say it's eighty percent that stuff, twenty percent the crowd, or something like that. Really, the crowd comes into play at the very beginning of the game when everybody's just the most amped up they're going to be all night and um, it's loud as heck and maybe you get a false start penalty or something. And then if it happens to be a game that goes right down to the wire and the team, the visiting team, is trying to get their... You know, that that can be extremely intimidating. I remember when Oklahoma, I think it was Baker's first year starting, like his first big road start was at Tennessee, 100,000 people just... From every, I was watching on TV, it just seemed like it was deafening, and he led that comeback late in the game, and that was kind of my first sign that, man, this guy's got it, if you can pull that off. Obviously, he won at Ohio State, too, but uh, I don't think crowd noise affects these guys as much as people think. If it did, how many games have you covered where the, the you know, Alabama went in and shut out LSU last year at that stadium? I just think if, if the team's got, is playing, is the team's better, you know, the, how much difference does the crowd really make? You know, there was a book about this um, that, that John Wertheim wrote uh, from SI a few years ago where they, it wasn't football focused, it was basketball focused, but basically they found that what's the single biggest factor behind home field advantage or home court advantage? The officiating. 
Like without, you know, they have all these studies and numbers that show that that officiating does in fact skew toward the home team, as as many people might suspect. I didn't know that. that I mean, that is interesting to me. I wouldn't have that. That is something I wouldn't have guessed. That's probably a little harder to gauge in football, but in basketball, in terms of you know, free throw disparities versus when a team's on the home versus the road. Yeah, I mean, I could see where if you, and I could definitely see it in basketball where teams on a run and and things are you know getting deafening in that building and that the, the it's just like human nature. The official is not going to want to blow a whistle and get fifteen thousand people immediately turn on him. So subconsciously, but yeah, you know. And by the way, the home teams in college football usually stay at hotels as well. But even there, the night before the game, but even there, you know, it's the same hotel every time. So there's a bit of routine. All right, Bruce, this one is pretty much just for you from Gerard. A first-time emailer, been a listener since the beginning, love the annual Freaks List. And on the most recent pod, you guys talked about it. And it got me thinking about an all-decade Freaks List. Are there at least a top five or ten? What do you think, Bruce, off the top of your head or somewhat off the top of your head? Is there a... Five or so guys that stand out as the all-decade freaks? Yeah, I mean, this may be a little more than a decade, but the guys, the five that stand out the most, the number one guy is Jadavian Clowney. Jadavian Clowney, and part of what that was for, Joe Connolly, who was the strength coach at South Carolina back then, now he's since at Arizona State, but he talked about how they measured Clowney's explosiveness and and just raw power and in a different kind of measurement. And it was it was like off the charts times four compared to like their next most explosive athlete. And it was a really, you know, interesting project to work on. And, and Clowney stands out, obviously. He's since, you know, proven that in a lot of ways to a lot of other folks. The number two guy for me is Margus Hunt. Do you remember that name? Yep. I, I remember that I first heard of him from the Freaks List. Yeah, and I think a lot of people did. So Marcus Hunt is an who is from Estonia. He was a discus thrower, shot putter who ended up playing at SMU. And the numbers he put up that that you know his coaches had told me about at SMU were ridiculous. I mean, he was six eight. He was almost two hundred eighty pounds. He was running four six. He vertical jumped thirty five inches. He bench pressed two twenty five. I think thirty eight times. It was just insane numbers. And people were really skeptical. They were like, oh, that's not real or whatever. And you're just getting these you know, numbers. Somebody's blowing up numbers to you. Then he went to the Combine in Indianapolis and ran basically the exact same things that his track coach that he'd trained him as well as the other people at SMU had told me. So Marcus Hunt, who's still playing uh, in the NFL now, is the second guy that comes to mind. The third one, and this is why I said it's more than a decade, Calvin Johnson from Georgia Tech. Now, obviously, that guy had was a, had a ridiculously great NFL career, too, but just just an insane athlete at wide receiver when he was at Georgia Tech. The fourth guy that comes to mind, same era back then, Adrian Peterson from Oklahoma. His strength numbers were, were off the charge for a running back back then. And the fifth one, I would say that I'm reminded, and this is, a, this is some of it, is just because it is very recent, is another running back, Saquon Barkley from Penn State. Again, this is a guy who did all the same crazy stuff that Penn State told me he did, and he went to Indianapolis, just like Mike Gesicki did, just like Troy Apke, who was another Penn State player, did. And so when people see those numbers of the two Penn State guys I had in there this year, don't be so cynical because the same same school had guys back it up when they went to the Combine not long, not long after that. Yeah, it's interesting. We always joke about, the stuff in the recruits, you know, rivals or two four seven profiles, like you can never believe those forty times and whatnot. But once they get to college, that stuff for the most part plays out once they get to the combine. Yeah. I mean and there's certain guys, you know, you think about it and they they just have some other kinds of amazing gifts that they could do. And I had some of those guys on, on my lists over the years. But these were mostly the stuff that you can measure in the combine and all those guys have been or are, you know, have been NFL players. Some of them were great, great NFL players. All right, a couple quick ones here at the end. Anthony Lusano. Hey, guys, not a football question, but something I can't unhear now. I was listening to the last episode while cooking, and my fiancé asked what I was listening to, and I told her. She then just casually mentioned that, quote, that one guy, Bruce, his voice sounds like Jeff Goldblum. I listened more closely, and yeah, she's kind of right. What do you, did you ever get that? No, I've never got that. Now that he says it, you definitely have the same kind of deep 
baritone voice that he does. Now he's more, I think Jeff Goldblum has a very distinctive uh, speaking style, but in terms of like the, the tone of the voice, I can see it, hear it. Jeff Goldblum in one of my probably five favorite movies, by the way. Do you know which one it is? I'm going to guess not Jurassic Park. No, good guess. Uh, uh, have, you, have you ever seen Deep Cover still? Oof, I don't think I have. You disappoint me so much. But Jeff Goldblum is in some of my favorite movies because he's in all the Wes Anderson movies. Okay. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou might be one of my five if I really thought about it. He's in that. He plays the nemesis. Okay. The next question from John Polzer. Have you guys considered a daily show or a podcast? So many of us listen to all SEC all the time. Fine bomb because we have no other daily options. I know fans of Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, Texas, OU, Texas Tech, etc. would welcome a more balanced look at college football throughout the year. All right, Stu, can you make this happen? So I'm going to I'm going to give great news to John and other podcast enthusiasts. You and I are not going to host a daily podcast because it's not our full-time job. You know, it's very hard to especially in season find the time to do it even once a week when you're also writing articles, preparing for, in your case, sideline reporting games. In my case, hope being the editor-in-chief. But um, here's what's going to happen, and I alluded to this in the letter that I wrote on the site on Monday. The Athletic, this by the time the season starts, is going to offer or is going to launch a full lineup of an entire network of college football podcasts. A lot of them will be specific to certain teams with our writers that cover those teams, but there will also be some national ones as well. So, you know, I think, and certainly they will not all be SEC. So I think people are going to be very pleased. You're going to have a lot of different options for listening and they'll be spread throughout the week. So there will be no day that goes by without some sort of college football podcast offering. And I can't imagine while there are lots and lots and lots of media outlets that have college football podcasts, national ones in particular, I I don't know that anybody would have this many uh, to choose from. So we're really excited about that. Okay. Well, we thank Details you for all to your come. Questions. All right. Well, that was fun. Um, next, weirdly, four of the five Power Five leagues had their media days this week. It all kind of is running together. You've got uh, Big Ten uh, Thursday and Friday. So we can talk about that next week and also Pac 12 is next week as well. We'll see you guys next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. Thanks to Trader Joe's for being our presenting sponsor. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octave. You can download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel on Twitter and Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB and subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't done so already. You can try it for free, seven-day free trial at theathletic.com slash free trial. So come on, get over here. Ah, yeah. We'll talk about it for years. Ah, yeah.